This is the Huddle Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2. The Huddle. Welcome in to the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Eats, Tom Wassel, and Stacey Ross. Now we're going to be taking a look ahead to the Seahawks Week 5 competition against the Minnesota Vikings. That'll be at home. Sunday night game. But first... First, we're going to take a look back and recap the win over the Dolphins. So let's go ahead and get started right now, Dave. Uh, way When I watched that game, I felt like it was an improvement from the defense. I know they still allowed 400-plus yards from that Miami offense, which has struggled off and on through the year, but it felt like an improvement. Now, you're a former defensive player. You know how to watch this game. Is that what it felt like to you? Yeah. It, here's I use this word about, um, about Quentin Dunbar, promising. It was promising. I, I thought the things, some of the things that they did. So I did a football one-on-one thing, and I took the very first play where KJ, it was a zone drop, a cover three is what it looked like to me anyway, and you know Trey's bailing to get back into his deep third. And what he's relying on is KJ to drop underneath the receiver that he is you know, covering. He's not covering him. He's, you know, he's got an area on the field, but... In the meantime, you know, it was Devontae Parker, and he had a quick stop, you know, at about nine yards, and it was just an easy throw and catch. And K.J. was just a little bit late getting there, and so you could see K.J. pat his chest like, hey, he goes to Trey Flowers, that, that's on me, that's my bad. So uh, the next series, he was on the other side with Shaquille, and it was the same thing, same type of defense where he had to push to the outside receiver and he did, and he got so far downfield that he actually should have had an interception. That was the one that hit him right in the – well, he had two that were right in both hands, and yeah. then he had an opportunity for another one. But, but you know, they did that really well. They did that really well. And that's, that's something that I, I think, again, is promising. You can't say, oh, it was fixed, because things get fixed slowly. But, you know, you went from 500 yards to 417 or 415, whatever it was, and I thought, you know, if they can continue to do those kinds of things, and I felt like they, they worked hard on that, then there, it's going to be a, an improvement. And it's an old-fashioned thing. I mean, it goes back years, you know, where in your uh, underneath zone dropper, you got to get depth. you got to get underneath those receivers and help the defensive backs out a little bit. So the linebackers did that all day long. I think Cody's probably... Cody and KJ are probably the best at that. And then Bobby's really good at man-to-man coverage. Bobby's one of the best blitzers in the league. So, you know, they, they just uh, they just took a huge step, I thought, that way. And, again, it was it was promising. But, you know, it's not like 415 yards is great. Right. But it is compared to Baby the first steps, three. right? It's yeah. a step forward for sure. Exactly. Dave, what did you make of the offense? Because you, you look at the offense, there were opportunities that were missed, dropped balls, there was an interception down the red zone. Um, but it, it seemed to be where if the, the the passing offense wasn't working, man, the running game was, was there for you to change things up with Chris Carson. Uh, what did you see from the offense? Well, first of all, we had DJ Dallas on yesterday, and his first carry was really good. I mean, he had a six-yard carry. I wanted to see more of him, but he just has a really good understanding of how to set up tacklers, and he did a really good job setting up his block from from uh, Ethan Posick and was able to cut back, and he kept it front side long enough to influence both the tackle and the linebacker to, to stay front side, and then he cut it back on him. So um, he looked good. Of course, Chris Carson. I just think Chris Carson's special. We've been having lots of debates about, you know, is he, do you pay him? You know, is he worth what, 12 to $15 million? And I, I think he is. 
But, you know, it's it's all about health with him. But, um, yeah, they, they got that going a little bit, 98 yards. They had 155 against New England, I thought was pretty impressive. So I think this is a game where they've got to really prove to themselves that they can establish the run. And I think the offensive line's been good this year. Who's somebody who's jumped out to you as a surprise, whether it's a rookie or a guy who's maybe like a David Moore who's just been impressive through four games? That, that's a good one, Tom. I like that. I I, uh, I compared him to um, Jermaine Curse, kind of, and it's a little early for that, mm. I, I get. But Jermaine Curse was... Um, you know, he did it over years, just a lot of big plays that he just comes up with. And, you know, and I guess the reason why is just because there's been some complaints about David Moore. Why isn't he taking an, uh, a step? And I think he's taken a step this year. So, you know, he had, he had some, he's had some big games and some really good plays. Great. I mean, that toe tap catch that he had, the one he had against New England where he hits the pylon. I mean, those are Tyler Lockett like plays. So yeah, I thought I think probably him, probably Dave David Moore, the the most surprising. I, I he needs to be more consistent, but you know he's he's been good, and I feel like he's kind of quietly, well, not so quiet now, uh, you know, because now all of a sudden he's getting you know a good yardage, he had ninety five yards, and I think it was the Cowboy game. And let's I want to take a look at this offense too. Russell Wilson, this sounds weird, had his quote worst game of the season, still had. Uh, fair touchdowns, most yards of the season, uh, passer rating well over 100. I mean, his worst game is still a really, really good game. <laughs> he is playing at an unbelievable clip right now. Um, do you expect him to? I know, I know, we're you know mostly looking back at the Dolphins, but based on what you've seen now over four weeks, really a question for all of you guys: Do you expect him to once again showcase that MVP caliber play against Minnesota? Well, of course, we want to hear from Jake on this, but yeah. um, I, I'm going to say that Russ took a huge. Step Step back, I mean, come on. Yeah, no, he's Jake, not, what's going on? Not eighty-six percent completion percentage. Thrown an interception. What's the matter? Well, it, you're it, telling me he had an incompletion, Jake. Yeah. What is this? Well, you know what's funny, Jake and and Tom is that uh, there was uh, some clip yesterday we had of Aaron Rodgers where he was on a podcast and said, you know, some of my down years are people's career that. years. Very humble. Yeah, that's a, it's like Russ's down game is like what everybody is striving to right. to have. Right. It's it's truly incredible. Uh, and and my favorite part of his performance. Last week was truly when the game was on the line and, and one of the more critical drives of the game late that was that that touchdown drive to David Moore. I noticed right away that there was a difference in the way that they were playing their tempo and it looked like they were going into some into a different kind of package. Um, but then you find out later that the headset went out and Russell was calling the entire drive. How about that? Um, and yeah. and so it just you know the cool things and the opportunities that this offense has to be able to change the tempo on teams to be able to have enough trust in Russ. Uh, to call plays at the line of scrimmage and to call good plays, uh, effective plays. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's something that they can grow off of. Not saying that Russell's going to call more plays himself, but the fact that you look at the Rams' offense and why they have been so unique and dynamic, well, it's partly because they get to the line of scrimmage so fast, it forces the defense to show their coverage. And then Sean McVay, almost like a college spread offense, calls the play from there after he sees what that picture looks like from the defense. And that's exactly what Russell was doing with the offense. He was getting them to the line so that he could 
call the plays from there. And so it was really impressive to see him, uh, you know, handle that scenario so well. That was probably my favorite offensive moment from the game. Thomas. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask Dave. I know he's a big Damon Harrison fan. Um what kind of difference do you think he'll make coming here and how difficult is it to change teams when you're, you know, the season's four games in and you're just hanging around and all of a sudden there you are. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I always dreamed after my career ended that somebody would have a hurt linebacker somewhere and I'd get called in and, you know, in the middle of the season, whatever. But um for defensive tackles, and I make this joke all the time to the D tackles that hey, you either go straight, right, or left. I mean, there's not a lot of thinking down there, but there there is. And and Damon Harrison's a really smart football player. I don't know how big of an impact he's going to make. Um, it might, you know, it might help free up Jaron Reed a little bit. But you know, they've got Anthony Rush, you know, that's that's playing in there. Brian Monet is is Snacks Harrison better than those guys? Yeah, but I mean, his career has been better, but. Can he, you know, come off the street and go and, and get ready to play? And and we'll see, you know. And I think Pete, he had a quote where he said, look, he's a really smart player, but we'll see what he looks like on the field. So Dave, I wouldn't Dave, expect him. How, Dave, how important is that, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you look at Damon Harrison and, and see really where his shape is? I think that's the biggest question. Um, how how important of a factor is that going to be for this coaching staff to make the right decision for the team and for the player as well? Yeah, well, remember when they brought Paul Richardson in and they made a decision like after a couple of days, they're like, well, he just wasn't in shape. He wasn't he wasn't ready. So they'll be able to tell that right away. I mean, and with this in this landscape now with COVID nineteen, it's it's like you're not seeing guys, so you don't really know until until he gets here. So that that will be, but th- yeah, that'll be important. But also. You know, they need to start spelling those guys a little bit more. I thought the offensive line did a really good job. Solari, I thought that was brilliant. You know, having those guys kind of on, you know, a, a rotation as far as, uh, you know, Jamarco Jones working in there, uh, Oboehi working in there a little bit. So I think Dwayne, you know, probably Dwayne and Posick were probably the only two that didn't, I, I think, um, you know, sort of cycle in and yeah. out on the offensive line. But um, yeah, they need to do be able to have you know the ability to do that a little bit more with their their defensive line and those big guys. You know they get tired, man. It's <laughs> you know it's one thing running, running, but when you're in like a like a wrestling match with another dude that's like 320 pounds, that's tiring, man. I don't know if you guys have had like a. I was wrestling one of my buddies over who was going to pay for the pizza. This was like so five, you guys decided to wrestle it five out? years ago. Yeah. <laughs> And was this guy, my buddy, Nuufaola, and he's a big X player. And after like maybe seven seconds, I was totally gassed. <laughs> so, I mean, and I'm an old man, of course. But, I mean, when you're in those kind of battles down in the trenches and, you know, taking on a guard, whatever, I mean, that's every bit as tiring as running a 40-yard sprint. So that's uh, that's something that's pretty important to those I feel guys. like we all learned a little bit more about Dave. Why Warren did today? I have to tell that story no, about wrestling it. over I a pizza? It. I have no you idea. Wrestling. All right, all right, all right. Wrestling for food, exactly. <laughs> We've got uh, some Pete Carroll sound coming up. Injury news will get you guys all caught up next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Welcome back to The Huddle with Tom Wassel, Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. Getting you guys caught up with some injury news and Pete Carroll's sound from yesterday. So let's go ahead and get started with Carroll. First thing you need to know, Seahawks added defensive tackle Damon Snacks Harrison. Cut number one, here's what Carroll says he brings to the defense. Uh, Damon comes to us, he's a, he's a player that's got you know big character on, on, in, the, in the locker room. Um, his, his attitude and personality that you add to the team is really special. And so uh, whenever we can do that, we're trying to get better. And, and so hopefully he'll, he'll be able to add in. Right now, we just want him to just get, get to work and get going with us. Yeah, you know, Snacks was, uh, he sound, talked about his big personality. He was an overnight stock boy at Walmart, and, uh, and, and then he left his home in Lake Charles, Louisiana, for a college that he didn't really know anything about. It was William Penn University, which he thought was in Virginia. And so him and a bunch of potential recruits to go play college football, they pile into a van and they head to Iowa. It's in Iowa, actually. So, and he didn't know that. And so it's a, it's a great part of his his uh, story and i guess he has a big personality and <laughs> we had some sound the other day from dj fluker when he went against him in detroit Two big personality yeah and uh, he said yeah i'm like 340 i look over at him he's like 360 and we look <laughs> at each other and we're like okay it's going to be a long day here today <laughs> uh with uh there's no doubt I, I actually had a chance to be teammates with uh damon harrison when i was in new york in 2015 and and he is a huge personality he's one of those guys that uh you know there's some guys like luke wilson who are just just funny they 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 bring uh you know luke's a little crazy uh so he brings this just fun energy every single day and that's kind of what snacks is and one of the other things that snacks does bring to the table you talk about humble beginnings dave you know Snacks Harrison loves the game. He appreciates the game because he was in a position where he wasn't a high, you know, drafted guy. He was an undrafted free agent who worked his way into the role into into being one of the best defensive tackles in the game. And and so he brings a different perspective than anybody else, which I, I thought was really cool because at that time when I was in that locker room, he was an established player. This was you know his third or fourth year with New York and. You know, just his approach to the game was really refreshing uh, from what you see from other guys from around the league. So he's definitely somebody that will bring that presence. But more than anything else, too, from a playing standpoint, you know, Dave, you alluded to the fact that, that he is going to help. Uh, he's going to help keep guys fresh. I mean, Jaron Reed was playing an insane number of snaps, he percentage was. of snaps. Uh, Puna Ford, I, Brian Monet, you know, uh, no nothing against Rush. But I, I think you upgrade at the position. But then you also help these other guys, help them, you know, spell themselves uh, so that they can keep themselves fresh, keep themselves at their best. And that's where you don't want Jaron Reed playing 75% of the snaps. You want him, you know, playing a lesser percent so that when he comes in, he is ready to roll and ready to make as big of an impact as he possibly can. He's got to be fired up, too, about the possibility of mm-hmm. playing on a Super Bowl team. I mean, he's 31. He's only played in one playoff game. It was that one good year the Giants had where they went to Green Bay and lost. But other than that, he's played on some pretty mediocre to bad teams. I mean, remember the whole thing with Detroit where he was, like, gaining weight on purpose or whatever? I mean, he when he yeah. realized – when I he came strategy. here, realized it was going to be the Seahawks with Pete Carroll and John Schneider convincing him to come, he's probably thinking, man, this is what an opportunity I had to finally go out there and get a ring. Now, the question that obviously follows this is one we all have, one fans have, and that's when and whether we're going to see him this Sunday night against the Vikings. Cut number two. Here's what Carroll had to say. What's the, chance of, what's the realistic chance that Harrison can play Sunday night? 
Uh, let me have see him on the practice field first. Uh, I, I don't know. I got to see what he looks like running around. Learning the defense, he'll he'll be fine there. He'll he's a really smart football player. That's not going to be a problem. It's just how how fit he is and, and all of that. He's a big man, you know. So we got to see what he looks like. Yeah, you know what? Eighty five percent for Jaron Reed in the first game. Eighty six percent of the snaps in the second game, and that's just too much. So yeah, they got to they got to get him in there. Hopefully he's in good shape. But like you know, we talked about this earlier. They they have to get him get him out on the field. And it's you know it's it's more of a crapshoot uh, these days. You know, as you don't really know what a, a guy's work ethic is going to be like when he's away from you know a facility or away from a team. Yeah, that's going to be the most telling thing. And and at the end of the day, the Seahawks are not going to put. Damon Harrison in a bad position. They're not going to put the team in a bad position. And, and I'm not going to panic if he doesn't play. It would just be unfortunate. Uh, now, the kind of a look ahead to the Vikings, Pete Carroll also said that uh, basically don't let the Vikings record fool you. They got their first win the other week. He also said in cut number three, though, they're dangerous. The Vikings have, have had a very difficult schedule. Um, they played really good clubs, and, and they played really good last week. They've got great scheme. You know, Coach Zimmer does a terrific job. We just The whole football team has got a whole style about them. Uh, they run the football hard and tough. They, they play good defense. They're good on teams, and they've been really explosive in the passing game with the receivers that are terrific. Um, so we've got a, a real challenge for us. Uh, they know us. We know them. Uh, there's a lot of commonality in that, and so hopefully we can put together another good week and, and come out firing here back home. I, I like their personnel. I mean, Adam Thielen, uh, Justin Jefferson, the first-round draft choice out of LSU, and we all know Kirk Cousins. I mean, he had a year where he was 70% completion, and you know that's something I think only um, Drew Brees has done. So he can be dangerous. He just he was inaccurate in those first few games, but um, – yeah, and then I like some of the players on their defense. Harrison Smith has always been one of my favorites. He got kicked out of the game the other day because he had a his helmet accidentally hit somebody in the helmet, which I won't comment on. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean Eric Kendricks, really good uh, linebacker, and you know um, Eric Wilson, the other guy. So they've got some personnel. I just you know you get you start getting you know further into the into the analysis of the, these opponents, and you see that. You know, it, it's they've got a bunch of ballers. I mean, look, they they don't their record doesn't reflect it, but every team's dangerous. And you know, if you thought last week that the the Dolphins had some potential, uh, this team most definitely does with the personnel that they have. There's no question they are they are a scary unit offensively. They can spark at any moment. Uh, they're a team that can be well balanced. And then defensively, it's shocking because uh, when I looked at the the team stats, I mean, this is a group that is amongst the best in football every single year. Uh, yet for this season in 2020, they are one of the worst. And I think that part of that is just working through a lot of newness that they have. They're very young on the corners. Uh, in the middle of their defense, they're pretty good with the two linebackers and two safeties. But everybody outside of that is new for the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that's the reason why you've seen them struggle so much. And we'll see if they are uh, if they can turn things around. And hopefully, for the Seahawks' sake, they don't. And, and the Seahawks' offense is still able to capitalize on a lot of that newness. Yeah, just one quick thing before we run here. We get bogged down sometimes in the amount of yards that the Seahawks give up, and I try to caution us against that. I mean, I should take my own advice, but this, the, um, the Minnesota's given up a ton of yards, too. They've given up a ton of points. 
Um, but passing yards, rush yards, eh, well, actually, it's not great. <laughs> game to game, they give up a lot of rush yards, too. I think Seattle's offense should be able to score on these guys pretty easily. But, as Dave always says, everybody in the NFL is good. It's hard to win a game. Well, let's take a closer look at the Vikings with our opponent preview sideline analyst Greg Coleman joins us next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heeks, Tom Wassel, and Stacey Ross. Uh, we are waiting on sideline analyst Greg Coleman. We're getting him connected here in just a minute. Uh, in the meantime, Jake, I have a really quick question before we get Greg on the line um, where we we just need to know, you know, Kirk Cousins, it looks like he's having an off year Vikings one win, but what have you seen from him? That sometimes you, we take for granted of the idea that the normal idea that, hey, it takes some time for for offenses to get in a rhythm and and you lose a player like Stefan Diggs and you insert a very talented one in Justin Jefferson and that's been a smooth transition for the most part but overall I think with this offense it is uh, with Kirk Cousins I think he's always dangerous I think this last game he really showed that he can play at a high mm-hmm. level um and and you know Kirk this is two seasons now where he has kind of struggled at the beginning and then and then gets hot around this time All right, joining us now, sideline analyst Greg Coleman. Uh, Greg, I have a very similar question. Minnesota Vikings, I've always seen them as just a kind of perennial contender in the NFC. Uh, They've always got, you know, a pretty strong unit on on either side of the ball. What have you seen from them this year? Because so far their record has been, um, I guess, a bit underwhelming. Well, Stacey, let's face it. The the team has not played well Mm -hmm. from a consistent standpoint. They've got great players at, at all of the skill positions, and if you look around the league, uh, change is inevitable. You cannot lose seven people off of your starting defense or who had a major uh, part in your defense and, ex- and expect it to be the same. Uh, then you lose Daniil Hunter, all-pro defensive end, uh, who's on injured reserve right now. There is no way on God's green earth, and I don't care where you draft a kid – uh, in the draft, and you put him on the field, the one thing that stands out that's in front or behind his name is rookie. Mm-hmm. And D.Y. And, and Jake knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, rookies are rookies for a reason because they're going to make mm-hmm. mistakes. Sometimes the game is too big for them. It takes them a while uh, to adjust and adapt and execute. The game is so fast. But uh, we got a lot of young people on defense. And we're just going to have to live through it. And hopefully when guys like uh, Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander, uh, you know, uh, Everson Griffin and all of those guys were with our team as rookies, they had to go through a similar learning curve. And it's no different now. Yeah, Greg, my radio partner, Steve Rabel, always says, you can always tell a rookie, you just can't tell him much. So, uh, yeah, that's, but no, I mean, I'm the same way. I I just feel like, Hey, if a rookie plays well, great, that's gravy. I mean, you just, you can't expect too much. And, uh, and that's, that's always going to be, you know, every once in a while you get a DK Metcalf, but uh, I wanted to ask you, Greg, about unique and Gakwe, because, you know, he made kind of a stink there. I've always known him to be, uh, uh, I don't know him, but I mean, he seems like a good guy and everything. He just really wanted out of Jacksonville, but uh, what 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 kind of guy is he? And it looks like it's working out. Three sacks. 
you know, he's been everything that we expected him to be. You know, sometimes a change of scenery uh, does a guy well. I mean, let's let's face it, back in the day when, when Ahmad Rashad was at St. Louis and then Seattle came to Minnesota, uh, you know, had an all-pro career. So sometimes that happens. And with Unique, uh, he just needed a change of scenery. I mean, he's not the only one. Uh, All-pro Calais Campbell yeah. was a fixture there in Jacksonville. And, and sometimes it's it's the locker room, it's the surrounding, it's coaches. Sometimes things just happen, and you need a change of scenery. And he's been everything that we have asked, doing everything we've asked him to do. Uh, he studies his craft. He's in his playbook, film session, and really under the tutelage of offensive coordinator and defensive line coach Andre Patterson, uh, you've seen the improvement week after week. Uh, he came in on the fly, uh, you know, uh, like a uh, oh, fire hydrant, you know, just studying this playbook and trying to get accustomed to this defense. And so far, so good. And if the last two weeks are any indication on the talent of this kid, uh, he's going to be okay. Now, Greg, one of the things that you look at uh, with this offense is – how they are actually very much centered around uh, centered around the running game and that Kirk Cousins is more of the uh, game manager he can be a playmaker with the with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson but uh how much has this offense uh, centered around Dalvin Cook and and how much do you expect Kirk Cousins to continue to uh, grow off of his performance that he had this last week listen guys Dalvin Cook is a straw that stirs the drink, okay? Yeah, you've got Adam Thielen. J.J. is coming to his own. You've got uh, Irv Smith Jr. at tight end along with Kyle Rudolph. But Dalvin Cook uh, is the cat's meow. As Dalvin goes, so does this offense because it opens up everything. And, Dave, you know this. When, when, when you banging that ball on the inside and he can get off tackle, you've got to respect the run. And that's when Kirk is at its best. When you have a defense that puts on the brakes for just a minute, oh, I'm thinking, is this a run? No, is it mm-hmm. play action? That's all you need is a moment. And, and Kirk has had some of those moments over the last week or so, uh, especially last week, and you saw the results of it. And you talk about Jeff, Justin Jefferson. Now, this is one kid that doesn't know that he's a rookie. He doesn't mm-hmm. care. He's a diva, just like all other wide receivers. <laughs> and uh, he's just a special kid with a special talent and a hunger to grow and, and be better and do what's best for the football team. He is Greg Coleman, sideline analyst for the Minnesota Vikings Radio Network. Go give him a follow at Greg Coleman 8 if you aren't already. Always good stuff. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, Stacey, and good luck to you with those three knuckleheads. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Greg. Uh, get thank out of you. here, Greg. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. <laughs> You guys, when Greg told us, listen up on Dalvin Cook, I might, I think I literally leaned in to my mic. I mean, is he really, <laughs> Dave, the guy that's like, you know, make or break this game? This is the guy Seahawks fans are keeping their eye on. He's a fantastic player. He really is. I, you know, I, I've not seen anybody get out of trouble better than him since Marshawn Lynch. I mean, the plays are breaking down, and he always finds a way to – Turn it into positive yardage, and and you're right, Jake. I mean, 113 attempts running and 100 passing. It's it's pretty much all about Dalvin Cook, and yeah, they've got some good receivers. I like their tight ends. I mean, Irv Smith is not even the starting tight end, and you know Kyle Rudolph's a really good one. 
So, yeah, they've got tons of talent. And you know what? I'm talking myself into a loss right now, but we're, we're not going to lose this game. But, you know, all of a <laughs> sudden you start looking. Game. I know, but, the, yeah, Dalvin Cook. But the thing is, it matches up well for the Seahawks because they have been good against the run. And I know that people are, well, they don't have, people don't have to run on them. And we've had leads and things like that. But still, I've seen a lot to like in the run defense. But they're going to have to because Dalvin Cook is really special. Now looking at this defensive line, too, is important because we're going to talk about the Seahawks' O-line, the developments along there, rookie Damian Lewis, who, by the way, is coming up later in the show. Uh, so we'll talk about all of that when we go in the trenches with Ray Roberts next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. All right, welcome back to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Tom Wassel, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. Getting you guys ready for the Seahawks' Week 5 matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, we're going to have Ray Roberts joining us for In the Trenches in just a moment. Before we get to Ray, though, uh, Dave, i got to call you out. Uh-oh. i got to do it. what I do? You and Greg Coleman making fun of rookies. You know, first thing you got to know is we're going to have a rookie on the show later today. On yeah. the huddle, we're going to welcome Ugo Amadi and Damian uh, Ugo Amadi and Damian Lewis uh, coming up here at one forty. Well, uh, Damian, Damian Lewis, scares me. I was going to so say I wouldn't say anything. You got to be a little careful around Damian Lewis. Is a big dude, man. He can bench. <laughs> what was it? He said he could bench Tom six fifty. No. Yes. Tom ha! squat six fifty. Yes, he, squat, he did. He can squat six hundred and fifty pounds. What have you seen from him so far? He's he looks really good. I mean, he's he had a typical rookie first game, but I mean, again, that's Rabel's quote, by the way. So you can give Rabel a hard time I that will. you can always tell a rookie. <laughs> but no, I never expect anything from rookies. I, I just think you know, and Tom's I don't got even that mentality. Yeah, I mean, well, if they're top fifteen, or am I thinking Salk? I'm thinking pick, of Salk. Yeah, if you're a top Salk, fifteen yeah. pick, yeah, yeah, in the first round, yeah. But I mean, if you're a late, you know, draft choice, I just I, I don't think. It's just difficult, and I'm just going based on my own experience. You know, I had the same type of year as L.J. Collier did. I was a second-round pick, but still, I uh, I had like three assist yeah. tackles, like which basically means I jumped on a pile, you know, <laughs> that was already there. So, I mean, and I I played in like four or five games. I came back my next year, and everything was clicking. I I could see it. I could read it. I was like just going out and playing football again, and it, you know. When a guy comes in and is able to play his rookie year, play well. And by the way, for all the old Seahawk fans, the Boz did play well his rookie year. He actually did have, a, and everybody <laughs> so calls him a bust, up, but he he did have he did have a good rookie year. But it's rare, you know. Another guy I'll mention. We had him on our our show yesterday. Lofa Tatupu yeah. was amazing, amazing his rookie year. Uh, his knowledge of the game really was was more what it was about than anything else. But uh, just, yeah, it's very rare, though. And last year we had D.K. Metcalf. So two different guys there. L.J. Collier, D.K. Metcalf drafted different in different spots, but some get it right away and are able to make contributions. But I feel like most just aren't. What do you think My, the difference? I mean, you mentioned if you're a top 15 pick or you're, a, you know, you're just that talented. D.K. Metcalf wasn't a top 15 pick pick right but he's probably just that talented but you know what dave he's also got a good head on his shoulders i think alton yeah. robinson and damian lewis they both have good heads on their shoulders like the rookies that succeed seem to have that commonality is it just a question of where you are in your maturation 
Well, it certainly uh, matters to be mature, but you know, I had a good head on my shoulders, and I I still couldn't, I couldn't get it. You you know, amazing. It was well, I'm I'm not bragging about myself, like, but I was grounded, and I was I was telling a story the other day about my rookie year and how the vets liked me because, you know, I had a a crummy old truck that I would drive, and I didn't think I I did I was quiet, I didn't say anything, stuff like that. But you know, it's um, it's just a. But it certainly helps, uh, Tom. To your point, I mean, I've never seen, I think, a more mature rookie than D- D.K. Metcalf. When, and I think a lot of that's because his family members, you know, he, he has some NFL, kind of like Tyler Lockett, he has some NFL in his blood. So that was the reason why. Joining us right now for In the Trenches, his weekly segment on the huddle, is former O-lineman himself, Ray Roberts. Ray, how are you? I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Good. Dave, keep bragging. Keep bragging on yourself, Dave. <laughs> Ray, Ray, I want to ask you if did you have a good head on your shoulders your rookie year, or and how how was your rookie year? Did did it feel a lot better coming back the second year, or how would you describe your so rookie my, year? The second year was a huge difference. My mm-hmm. rookie year, I felt like it was probably the end of the season before I could realize what the hell I was doing most of the time because yeah. there was so much adjustment to make, uh, and then just you know playing against dudes that are. The best of the best of the best. So I heard what you said about DK and his maturity, and and I couldn't agree more. Like I've never been around a rookie that hit the ground the way he hit the ground running and just working with Russ and putting in the time and making himself better, the way he's handled dropping the pass, like all those different kinds of things. Uh, that was something I never anticipated uh, seeing out of him, and it has made the world a difference for his career so far. Now, Ray, something that we saw that was really interesting with this offensive line coaching decisions versus the Miami Dolphins was that they were trying to get a rotation going in on the offensive line, something you don't typically see. I mean, they got in with Jamarco Jones, they got in Jordan Simmons, they got in Cedric Abwehi. What did you make of that move uh, that that this coaching staff made to try and at, to try and rotate these guys? And it sounds like it's something that they want to try and do throughout the year. Well, the first thing I'll say is uh, I hope they, they haven't been consulting with Mike Salt because Mike Salt brought up this idea a couple <laughs> years ago, rotating offensive linemen based on if it's a run or a pass and who pass block better, who run block better. So I hope they haven't been talking to Salk about that uh, because that idea is not a good one. But what they're doing right now, uh, and I just noticed, I thought maybe someone was hurt and that's why they started rotating. But as the game went on, you could see, that it was uh, something they were doing intentionally. And I think it's an awesome um, way to get dudes acclimated to the offense, uh, get them in rhythm with, with the people around them, uh, get them uh, playing time with real, you know, with real meaningful plays. And uh, I, I think the way that they have crafted this offensive line with veteran, mostly veteran players that have playing experience, it makes it a lot of easier. So you wouldn't be doing that if you're rotating three, you know, Damian Lewis's in. But uh, but you're rotating in some veteran players that have had some really good plan time and meaningful plan time, and so this kind of keeps everybody on the ready. And then the other thing I like about it is that it 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 makes you pay a little bit more attention in the in the meeting rooms, and it makes you pay a little bit more attention, you know, in practice. And you're trying to get your reps perfect because you know that your number could be called in that rotation to get some reps. So I, I think it's a really cool way to take advantage of this moment in this season and how the all season is going to prepare your offensive line for what you may need down the road. Yeah, Ray, I, I, I love your answer there. The one thing that came up with that, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this in terms of 
how to balance out when and where to make those type of decisions because uh, it, it, it backfired on them a little bit when the game was on the line. It's 10 to 6. Uh, I think it's the second quarter. They're driving down the red zone. They go for it on fourth and three. And a boy, he gets beat off the edge mm-hmm. when you're, you're starting right tackle that you've paid $4 million plus, you know, sitting on the sidelines, you know, so those, those moments aren't necessarily great. How, is it just one of those things where you just can't anticipate it when you put a guy in on a drive, he's in for the drive or how do you, how do you try and manage that? Well, I, I think I, I was thinking about the same exact play you were thinking about and, uh, and I was thinking to myself, like, man, like that didn't quite work out, right? Like, you you probably want someone, you know, your starter in there. But given what they were doing and the success they've had, like, um, I, I think that uh, trying to, I don't think you go into the game and you go like, oh, in this quarter, we're going to put in these players for this drive or what have you. I think you may have that in the back of your mind, but then you're just kind of playing it by how you feel the game going. And uh, you know, this is totally, totally different, but. When I was mm-hmm. when I coached high school football, uh, I always wanted to make sure that our backup offensive lineman, defensive lineman, got at least a couple reps in the first half and the second half. And so, so I would just kind of play it by ear and just try to get them in before the uh, before the half ended. But there was no real particular time I was thinking about putting them in. It just kind of I just played it by how I felt it. And so I think that they probably go into it with a game plan, saying like, "Hey, on the third drive, we're going to put in these group this group of dudes just so that they can be prepared for it." But I think as the game goes on, they probably uh, adjust it and just play it by ear. In that situation, I just think, it, you know, just with this new uh, aggressive style of offense we're playing, that he just got caught up in that situation and, and had a bad set. Like, he, his, his initial set was good, but then he stopped his feet uh, when the guy slapped his hands and, and went to the uh, corner, and then I got the shoulders turned too soon. So uh, I think they probably trust him in those situations, and I, and I, I think that they probably – start out the game saying like, Hey, we're going to put them in on this drive or that drive, but then they let the game dictate when they go in. Ray, it's good to talk to you as always. How are you, by the way? We haven't talked to you in quite a while. Life. Okay. Dude, I'm, I'm hanging in. I haven't, I haven't talked to you in a minute either. <laughs> I know. Um, you want to go for coffee this weekend or something? <laughs> hey, let's do it. It sounds right. like a date. I'm serious. Like, yeah, I'll do it, man. <laughs> I'm not joking around. Uh, Ray holding penalties. Specifically on the offensive line are way, way down this year, apparently because of a directive that the officials receive. First of all, are you noticing that? Um, And secondly, how much do you think that that's changing offense and helping offense in this league? Well, I wouldn't say that it's changing or or helping because, I mean, honestly, you hold on every single play. (laughs) Thank you, Ray. Finally, you admit it. Someone says it. So, so whether they're flagging it or not, it is it has been happening forever. And, uh, and so, like we always used to say that that's why you know God gave us these thumbs so we can grab stuff. <laughs> and uh, so if you can grab cloth, you grab cloth. I don't think that is that is changing the game just because it's just kind of how it's always been. I, I'm sure some defensive ends and defensive linemen are a little bit frustrated if they can't like quite get off a block to to finish a pass rush or something like that. But um, I don't I don't think that them. Uh, I think them the referees getting out of the way a little bit and just letting guys play a little bit is better for the game than than them being more involved in it. So, uh, so I'm going to always be in support of our offensive linemen <laughs> being able to hold legally, if you want to call it that. 
uh, a little bit more. But I, I don't think it changes the game. I, I, the game is has defensive linemen and offensive linemen have always dealt with this. And so it's just for them calling it less, I don't think it, it makes that big a difference. Yeah, my coach, my first coach, Tom Catlin, you remember Top Cat, I think, uh, yeah. Ray, um, he said, don't ever come to me after a play and tell me you were held because holding is legal in the NFL. And by the way, Ray, you mentioned coaching high school football. We're old men, but when we're really old men, we got to coach together again. I enjoyed that so much, especially I'm here for this. especially at Interlake. We we had so much fun and it, I I miss that, man. Great kids. Yeah, great yeah. kids. Two Absolutely. great coaches. Yeah, so if if we get old old uh, grumpy old men and and want to get back into coaching, I'm all I'm all for. It. We just got to find the right the right place with the right kids, but uh but uh but no, that was that was a lot of fun. Um the other thing I wanted to say too though about the offensive line just mm-hmm. in general is that um they're, they are – I didn't expect them to be playing as well as they're playing right now. They they started out a little faster than I thought. I thought it would be halfway through, like, the second set of four games when they really kind of hit their stride. But if you even look at, like, the pro football focus grading, uh, most of the guys are kind of in the middle of the pack, mm-hmm. which last year most of the guys were at the bottom if you weren't named Dwayne Brown. And, uh, and so the guys are, are doing a really good job of getting better each week uh, getting more in sync each week, being more effective each week. Uh, pass protection is much better each week. The thing that that I would hope that the offense would do is, I, I don't want to say balance with the with the running game because then people think you have to go fifty fifty. I would say more synergy with the run game, so it doesn't feel like the two things are disconnected. Right now, it feels like there's Russell in the passing game. And then, oh, that's this other thing we do. Sometimes we hand the ball off. Yeah. And so I, I think later on down the road, it'll be better if there's more synergy with the run game and the and the pass game. So I don't I, I don't, don't want to use the, the the balance theme because then people think like you have to throw the ball thirty times and run it thirty times. Well, sometimes the synergy is you know thirty twenty or you run the ball thirty times and throw it twenty times. But whatever that synergy is to create like a complete offense, I think is what. Uh, I think the Seahawks need to move towards that towards that place. Good stuff, as always, from Ray Roberts. You can hear him on the Seahawks pre- and post-game show and on the huddle with us every single week. Give him a follow, too, at Big Ray Roberts. He's always got good stuff to say about this offensive line and the Seahawks team in general. Always excellent analysis. Ray, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. You guys have a good one. You too. All right, the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel, joins us next. This is the huddle. This is the Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to two. The Huddle. Welcome back into the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Tom Wassel, Jake Heats, and Stacey Ross. Joining us right now, voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Rabes, how are you? I'm good, kids. How are we doing today? We are good. Before I get started on anything, I have to tell you, Dave was, as usual, giving you a pretty hard time. This one about your opinion on rookies, although I think Dave secretly agrees with you. I have to warn both of you that rookie guard Damian Lewis is joining in the show later this hour, so choose your words carefully. But what and have you seen? some rookies who are more equal than others, and if you can come in and start from day one as a rookie, I'm all for it. I do want to talk about a couple rookies with you. Um, I know that Damian Lewis has had a good start. Freddie Swain has also impressed me. I know Tom has pointed to him as maybe his biggest surprise. Just with those two guys in particular, what have you seen from them? Well, just exactly what you guys have seen. They, they've First of all, they've, they've picked up the system quickly. That's usually 
one of the more difficult parts of being a rookie. I mean, physically, all these guys deserve to be here. There's no question about it. It's just how quickly can they understand the system that teams use. And while there is a lot of overlap among teams in the National Football League, some are, you know, the language tends to be considerably different. And especially if you were with a program, um, you know, that's why they sometimes talk about quarterbacks who were program quarterbacks who came out of a system that was almost a shoot and run. You never go to the huddle. You're looking over to the sidelines and they hold up a picture of, of, I don't know, pick somebody, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it means an entire series of plays. Um, and, and you know you don't do that in the National Football League. So, so getting up to speed that way tends to be the more difficult part of the equation. That said, these guys obviously have have learned what they need to learn. They fit in in the locker room. They fit in. They probably and Dave will uh, probably mention this as well. You know, rookies are best left unheard. I mean, you listen, you watch, you learn. And only after you start to pick it up and understand and have maybe a little bit of playing time under your belt can you actually actively be involved in conversations. Uh, now, that might be a little old school, but that's the way I was taught. That's the way uh, the veterans kind of treated us. Hey, keep your ideas to yourself until you're, until you're really ready to play. I got to say, I was quiet because I was terrified uh, most of the time. But, but yeah, I just said to Greg Coleman, because Greg Coleman, uh, the sideline analyst for, for the Vikings, was saying, you know, hey, he has the same attitude that I have about rookies is that, you know, look, if, if they play well, great. You know, that's fantastic. I mean, it's a bonus to me. I, and unless you're like a top 10, top 15 pick, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, and every once in a while you get a DK Metcalf that just comes in. And, you know, and Tom mentioned it really helps if they have, you know, they know they've got a good personality. You know, they, they know right. where they fit and things like that. But I gave him your quote about you can always tell a rookie. You just can't tell much. And I was trying to get Stacy to say, Rabel, why do you hate rookies? But. <laughs> I, I wouldn't do it, Rabes. Yeah, well, and of course I don't. But you know what's ironic in all this is who, who, what coach comes to mind right off the top of your head who seems to be able to integrate rookies right into a starting lineup and let them play? What, what coach do you think does that? Uh, oh, let's see. I'm going to go local. Pete, yeah. Pete Carroll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say you're absolutely right. What's really interesting about all this is Pete Carroll started – his professional coaching career under Bud Grant in Minnesota. And Bud Grant was notorious for saying rookies should be seen and not heard. You can't really expect them to join you to play for the first year or two. Let them sit. Let them learn. I mean, he thought that rookies were a hindrance, actually. You know, I'm putting words in his mouth here. But, and, then, and then Jack Patera sort of brought that to the Seahawks with the exception of a few players. When you got a Jacob Green in the first round, when you got a Kenny Easley in the first round, those guys came out of college ready to play and ready to contribute. So they did. But I just always thought that that was interesting, that Pete developed this system in large measure because he coached at the college level and he knew at that level you know, the, the talent is, is much more bunched together, whether you're a, a freshman or a senior, and he needed those young guys because sometimes those older guys would leave before their senior year. So I, I just thought that was ironic. I'd throw yeah. that in there just for people who are driving down the freeway saying, wow, Rabes, you said something interesting for a change. Yeah, geez, that was refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice to change things up a bit uh, here, Rabes. But when, when we, uh, we, look at, we look at this game, 
and you're you know starting to do your scouting report. You're starting to really dive into what the Minnesota Vikings bring to the table and and you know kind of the strengths and weaknesses that they have. You, the one guy that surely stands out is Dalvin Cook, and you know the Seahawks have been able to do well against him in the past, but uh, it's always something that concerns you moving forward. Yeah, and and kind of the difference here. Remember when we went into let, let's use last year as an example, going into that Monday night game against Minnesota, and Dalvin Cook was again. He's one of the keys. You got to figure out how to stop that guy, uh, and we did. I think he got twenty nine yards. But they also didn't have Adam Thielen last year. He was hurt. He had a hamstring injury. So he didn't play. So they had Diggs, and now you could focus on taking Diggs away. And, okay, you got a tight end who's pretty darn good uh, in Kyle Rudolph. But he's not going to beat you, I mean, forever. He's not going to be the the big play guy. So those are the kinds of things, those are the calculations you have to make. This time around, they've got the Vikings do, have a great rookie receiver to go along with Adam Thielen. Right now, their duo of wide receivers, I think, leads the National Football League in at least yards per catch. Uh, and while we have given up a lot of yardage on the gra- on the the in the air, we did better last week against Miami. Dave, you noticed it right away with the way the linebackers were kind of dropping a little bit deeper to get underneath some of those uh, uh, dig routes and curl routes. And uh, But they still have Cook. And the, the key always for the Seahawks is to stop him on the ground. And I think that's going to be a, a, a big, big factor in this game on Sunday night. Yeah, so speaking of stopping the run, how big of a boost do you think Damon Harrison gives them, bringing him in for Week 5? And, and you're using big in both metaphor, metaphysical, metaphorical terms and in, in realistic terms because he is a yeah. huge man, I guess, at 350 pounds. And it just sets the anchor at the defensive line. Well, he's a pro bowler, and everybody in the league talks about him as being one of the premier run stuffers in all of football. You've got to have those guys. Brandon Meebane was sort of that way, only he had some pretty quick feet. But he, would, he was such a low center of gravity. Uh, and that's one of the things we like about Puna, even though Puna's a little bit undersized. Uh, but you've got to have that guy that can just drop his anchor right there on the line of scrimmage, and it takes two or three guys to move him. And then that frees up other guys. If you can't move that guy, if you're a guard or a center, or you can't move them together in a double team, then you can't get off to the next level and scrape off onto a Bobby Wagner or a K.J. Wright. And, and that becomes, you know, you, that, that becomes the, the answer for making tackles. So that's the way the defenses, I believe, Dave, are drawn up in many cases. And, and so I think he's going to be a big help. I just don't know what kind of shape he's in. I'm not sure the Seahawks know either. And so they need to see that. So that's why he's gone to the practice squad first. He is Seahawks play-by-play man, Steve Rabel, legendary voice of the Seahawks. Steve, thank you as always for joining us. Oh, my, we're done already. Great. (laughs) Terrific. I can go live my life now. (laughs) What life? We know this is the highlight of your day, Rabes. Don't lie to us. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks. My pleasure. Bye, Rabes. See you Sunday. All right, let's take you guys back to Minnesota. We're going to take a listen to what Mike Zimmer had to say about the Hawks. That's next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Tom Wassel, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross getting you guys prepared for the Seahawks' Week 5 game against the Minnesota Vikings. So we're going to take a listen to Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer. we got a couple sound bites here we want you guys to hear, help you get ready for the game. Let's start with cut number six. We didn't play very good the first two games. Uh, we played better against Tennessee. 
didn't didn't win. We played better again last week against Houston, but we're you know we're trying to correct the the issues that have been causing us to lose. We've been turning the ball over. Uh, our time of possession hasn't been very good. Uh, giving up big plays on defense, and so you know we have to eliminate all those things uh, before we continue to continue to win. Now the Vikings got their first game, our first win last week, Dave. Where have you seen them improving? Is it week over week? Is it you saw something different last week? I mean, what do you what have you seen so far? Yeah, I, I've watched the last couple of uh, games. You know, I saw some Tennessee, some Packers, and then I watched Houston, and and, and really, I mean, it's kind of like when we we're playing the Cowboys, mm-hmm. they were lucky to have that win against Atlanta. I mean, Houston was down on, they were like first and goal on like the four yard line. And they had a couple of, you know, they, and they had, there was a touchdown catch. I mean, they would have had to have scored two to come back and go to overtime against Minnesota. But, you know, there was a, a rare kind of screw up by Watson and David Johnson. And so, yeah, I mean, but they've just executed. I mean, it's hard to, to kind of explain. You look at Dalvin Cook. I mean, he's pretty much always balling out but yeah. you know for the rest of you know the team i i feel like it's really been on on cousins you know he just hasn't been accurate i mean he had a game where i think he threw like under 50 percent completion percentage and this is a guy who's capable of throwing 70 so I, I feel like his play has been not great and but he's starting to come back because he had a good good week last week yeah this is a it's a really interesting group from the sense that offensively, they've got all the weapons. I mean, this is a group that has relatively remained intact. Um, there's not a hole uh, in their in their on their team offensively, other than what Dave just outlined: Kirk Cousins being so inconsistent. Kirk Cousins has the ability to go off and throw for four touchdowns of 300 plus yards, but he also will throw in some serious clunker type of games uh, in there as well, turning the ball over, not being accurate. And so really that's why they have centered everything around Dalvin Cook. And so it all starts with the run game for this team. And that's they are hyper-focused on centering everything around the running game. And then defensively, uh, they started playing a lot better versus Houston. Houston has been struggling as a unit um, overall. Uh, but you look at uh, what Mike Zimmer said, they've given up way too many big plays. Um, and and it, one of the other things that really hurt them is across the defensive line, Daniil Hunter isn't playing. You lost Everson Griffin. You got Unique Ngakwe. You lost Linval Joseph, who was one of the best interior defensive linemen. You sign somebody to replace him, Michael Pierce from the Ravens, and then he opts out due to COVID. So they are completely depleted on the interior of their defensive line, and they're really trying to work through those things. Um, So I think that the Seahawks offense is definitely going to test them. But one thing, guys, that I will say, do not be surprised if Mike Zimmer defensively says, you know what? I am not going to get beat by Russell Wilson. Mm. Russell Wilson in this passing offense, I refuse to get beaten by them and try and shorten this game and make them try to run for 200 yards on them like they did last year. Uh, Make them try to repeat that type of performance. Where they still beat them, what, like 37-30 or whatever? Yeah, it didn't work out for them, but it was, yeah, it's pick your poison. It's tough tough for... uh, a guy in Zimmer's situation to think he can actually dictate the game that way. I mean, he can game plan it all he wants, but ultimately the talent's going to wing it to win out there. I just want to say one quick thing about Cousins. I mean, he was twenty six and six last year, touchdowns to interceptions. That's pretty darn good. Um, 
I've always been confused as to why he isn't thought of as one of those elite backs. His numbers, or excuse me, quarterbacks, his numbers are terrific, but I think it's really what Jake just pointed to. It's the inconsistency. Look at his passer rating, like for his career. You know, there's 58, there's 40, there's 52. Russell Wilson, I guess I'd have to pull up his numbers too, but when was the last time you saw him with a 30 passer rating? Yeah. For a game. Never. Coincidentally, you know, like never. one of his worst games was against the Minnesota Vikings. Um, it but, was it in the playoff it, game where it was real cold? No, but it's so no, but it's so infrequent that you remember them. I think it was a Monday night game against sure. the Minnesota Vikings. Um, That's but, right. But I, mean, I yeah. Kirk, yeah. Cousins has enough of them where you could say, all right, this guy's got – he's terrific. He's got wonderful ability. He can win you a lot of games. But that clunker might always just be around the corner. Yeah. yeah remember there for a while, too. And I, I want to say I saw today on the NFL Network that he was like 8-15 and 15 on – in. Monday night games, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins. prime time games, Kirk oh, Cousins. Yikes. And then also there was a stat Can't last relate. year where he was like, um, oh, man, it was like four and 27 against winning teams or something like that. So, yeah, he I agree with you, Tom. That's that's the kind of uh, guy that he is. I mean, look, he had against Indy. He, he, he threw for 42 percent and threw three interceptions. So. Yeah, he's he's very inconsistent. I, I kind of think he's the key. I feel mm-hmm. like Dalvin Cook's going to be Dalvin Cook no matter what. So you you definitely got to try to, you know, um, and, and it'll it'll be you know an interesting test against this defensive backfield that's giving up lots of lots of yards. I mean, are they able to to have one of these or force one of these clunkers from Kirk Cousins? Well, and Kirk Cousins already matched his interception total from last year. Obviously, who knows? He could take off and end up with six or seven interceptions, but six touchdowns to six interceptions so far for him this year. It's certainly been a slow, inconsistent start for him in Minnesota. Um, But I agree overall that they've got enough weapons that you're never quite sure, like Dalvin Cook coming off back-to-back 100-plus yard games, Justin Jefferson, their rookie receiver, coming off uh, two 100-plus yard games. So they can certainly take off. you know, one quick question here uh, before we wrap wrap this bit up, Dave, is Zimmer talks about the inexperience on this defense. He says that's where they suffered. Is the inexperience for them in that secondary? I mean, where do they kind of lack experience right now? Yeah, well, like Jake said, they, they got a couple of really young corners. Um, you know, they're, what, in their second year, Jake? So th- those guys yeah. are... There's a, there's a rookie, there's a second-year player, third-year player, right. and all of them haven't played much. Uh, because they've had Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes there. Yeah. So, and I, I like their safeties. Harrison Smith again, one of my favorites, and and I like their linebackers too. Kendricks is really good, you know. And I know they were talking about working out his brother here in Seattle, but Eric Kendricks led the league as far as linebackers go and pass breakups last year. He's got two tackles for loss. I mean, he's really an active player. But yeah, that. There's going to be some opportunities for Russ on the outside, I would think. Well, and Kendricks potentially, uh, you know, a, a name we're going to be keeping an eye on during the week. He was out of practice on Wednesday with a foot injury. He seems like a tough dude. We'll see how he comes along, but certainly a name we'll all be watching coming up here. All right. What are the expectations for Snacks Harrison now that he's in Seattle? We'll talk about that next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Welcome back to the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, Tom Wassel, and Stacy Rost. The Seahawks have added a new face, defensive tackle Damon Snacks Harrison. Now, we don't know for sure whether or not he's going to play this weekend. In cut number two, Carol's asked that question. What's the chance? What's the realistic chance that Harrison can play Sunday night? Uh, let me have see him on the practice field first. Uh, I, I don't know. I got to see what he looks like running around. Learning the defense, he'll he'll be fine there. He'll he's a really smart football player. That's not going to be a problem. It's just how how fit he is and, and all that. And he's a big man, you know. So we got to see what he looks like. Dave, if they can actually get Harrison through practice on the football field and activate him for the game against the Vikings, where can he make the biggest impact? Um, I think in the run game, uh, definitely. Um, well, it's a good question, you know, because uh, again, you <laughs> I mean, you could. He, you might see him get double teamed. Look, he's not a pass rushing threat. I mean, he's got eleven and a half sacks in his what eight nine year career or seven year career, and so you know it's not like he's a sack machine. But he is going to occupy a lot of space. And remember Al Woods last year? I mean, yeah. he was just a monster in in the middle of that line, and it really does it really does matter. So maybe it frees up Jaron Reed a little bit to to rush the passer, or make more plays, whatever. But you know, I, I think he's. You know, he's as big as Anthony Rush and Brian Monet, but I just think he's a little bit more talented than those guys. So, but I, I don't think he's, you know, the, the best defensive lineman in the world and is going to come in here and just entirely turn this whole thing around. I just think it will make them better, you know, and, uh, more opportunities. And I think their best D lineman is Benson Mayoa. If you go back and look, he's made lots of plays, including he, he caused both of those interceptions the other day. Uh, one he hit the ball, and the other one he because of his pass rush. Uh, and I missed that on the second one. Fitzpatrick, yeah, Fitzpatrick hurried his throw, and Shaquille picked it off. So, yeah, it's I think it's going to be you know a good positive thing. We'll see if he's in shape though. That's a, that's the big mystery, like we were talking about earlier, with guys you know not really being able to get your hands on them because of because of COVID and everything. Then uh, you know it's kind of a it's kind of a crapshoot as to what kind of shape they're in. Right, and that's going to be the big big question here because if he is in shape, him coming to this organization, it just revitalizes guys. You he, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into and I and I'm sure, you know, Damon Harrison kind of had an idea, but he doesn't really know what it's going to be like until the moment he walked into that building and the moment he entered the first team meeting. I promise you, he probably sat there and said, "You got to be kidding me. This like these guys have it great." From all my other experiences, especially coming from Matt Patricia to Pete Carroll in that team meeting room, I promise you he's going to be re-energized and excited to be a part of this organization. So with that being said, I agree with Dave that, okay, maybe Damon doesn't come in here and, and, and light the world on fire, but his worst year as a pro, his worst year as a pro was last year when he was unmotivated, unhappy. He had 49 tackles. As a defensive tackle, as a run stuffer, one technique, that is extremely hard to do. And that would have been the most, he would have been the most productive defensive lineman uh, amongst the group last year in 2019. So I think that this guy has still plenty in the tank. And and I'm excited to see what he brings to this group and what kind of impact he will have because you're going to go against the Minnesota Vikings, you're going to go against the Rams, you're going to go against the 49ers, who all value the run game. And when you get into playoff time, you got to be able to be sure in that run defense, and and I and that he helps with that. 
The Seahawks going to have all week to make this decision. He'll be able to get his practice in this week. Pete Carroll will have his final injury report on Friday. We'll give you updates there. Uh, and then the Seahawks obviously have over the weekend up until the start, uh, 90 minutes before the start of game to decide. So plenty of time for Snacks Harrison to make his case. All right, coming up next, we've got two interviews you do not want to miss. It's your starting nickel, Ugo Amadi, and starting right guard, Damian Lewis. That's next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Tom Wassel, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. We are getting you guys ready for the Seahawks' Week 5 game against the Minnesota Vikings. Um, You know, we've talked about the Vikings' weapons that they have. Dalvin Cook, a very obvious one. Uh, Receivers, Adam Thielen. Justin Johnson, the rookie, has been fantastic. So let's look at what Seattle has on defense to try to combat this. Um, Ugo Amati, who we're going to speak to in just a little bit, you guys, has had some, some pretty good starts in place of Marquise Blair, who's done for the year. Uh, Dave, have you been impressed with what he's been able to do so far? Very. And, you know, I was watching him in practice, and he was actually playing well. It's just that Marquise Blair kind of outshined him. But he he really – I always think of explosive players are players that are able to go from stop to go the fastest, and uh, that's what I see in him. And then, you know, he's making some good reads too. He And I think it was the New England game when he had was kind of – pressed into uh, action there because of Blair and and then also Diggs going down. He There was a fly sweep type motion where they pitched it, and he just read it right away. So uh, I like his reads. Uh, he's, what, he had eight tackles in that game, I think, and then against Miami had a good game. And, yeah, he, he looks really good. I've, I've been very pleasantly surprised by him. And maybe not surprised, but I guess we just kind of overlooked him a little bit because – because of all, everything that we saw out of Marquise Blair in camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would definitely agree with that. And, and one of the best things, too, is you look at him and, and the way he plays the game. Even if he gets beat, there's never a, a play where you're going, oh, my gosh, this guy just got the absolute breaks taken off of him. And uh, he, he is right there. He is making every catch difficult. Um, and so I think when you talk about Ugo Amadi and what he has been able to do, uh, he has allowed this defense and this coaching staff to not stray too far away from their original plans. Uh, maybe they're not blitzing the nickel as much as they would have if Marquise Blair was still in the game, but I mean, they're sticking with him. They have confidence in him and he's been doing great uh, from, from what I've been able to see in in zone coverage and man coverage so uh, Ugo has been really impressive and the one thing that I want to see from him is getting his hands on the football in terms of getting an interception because uh, a I think it would be great it would be a great confidence booster for him but b he is dynamic with the ball in his hands. He was a former punt returner, kick returner at the University of Oregon, and and uh, he has that that playmaking ability in him. And so that's that's the next step for him. But certainly right now in week five, I just want to see him continue to keep playing great football the way that he has been. Would you describe him or his game, Dave, as raw? Because it seems like with Blair out, this is kind of on-the-job training for him, like he's just thrown into that spot, and Pete Carroll just kind of said go, and he's had some success so far. But would, does he look like he's like his game is polished, or does he 
kind of look raw to you? Yeah, I think it looks good. I mean, he's yeah. he's on coverage. I think he's that explosiveness is what allows him to cover so well. That that's so difficult. I mean, and you, you see Trey Flowers struggle a little bit with that right now, but. Trying to cover somebody, they know where they're going, you don't. I mean, that's all, that's always a difficult task, and I, I feel like he, he, he looks like he's also a smart player. But, yeah, that's the thing I noticed about him too, Jake, is when he was at Oregon, when he gets his hands on the ball, I mean, if he could play like that all the time, he would be all pro because, man, when he gets the ball in his hands, it just, uh, just energizes him, it seems like. So, yeah, hopefully he's able to get some takeaways. And that's something they'd, they've done well, right? I mean, what are they at? Seven, I believe, takeaways right now? Yeah. They're, they're third in the NFL with plus four turnover ratio, so really good. And Ugo Amati with three tackles, two passes defended over the Miami Dolphins, and he joins us right now. Ugo, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you guys? We're good. Thanks so much for giving us some time today. Uh, Man, we were, I appreciate you guys for having me. Of course, of course. We were just yeah. talking about how impressive you've looked, uh, you know, in your last couple starts here for the Seahawks. Does it feel like, I mean, you were kind of thrown into the action a bit. Does it feel like you're getting into a zone? Because that's what it at least looks like from our point of view. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm slowly, you know, getting the hang of things, you know, you know, getting comfortable out there, you know, and just playing fast. Hey, Ugo, you uh, told us that uh, – uh, being out on the field for that last uh, play against the Patriots was like uh, coming home and having your mom with pizza rolls ready. <laughs> and the, did you have a moment in in the Miami game where it was a pizza roll moment for you? Um, let me see. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, that pizza roll moment was uh, when Shaq caught that pick. It just happened so fast. So as soon as I turned around, he caught the ball. I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. And uh, everybody just got turned. That was the pizza roll moment. We all celebrated in the end zone with him. Ugo, pretty cool. I'm shocked you didn't say your own pass breakup. It was such a great play right along the sideline. Yeah, that was a great play, you know, but, you know, I don't like to uh, pat myself team, up. Very okay. team-focused. That's very good moment. of you. Very good of you, Ugo. And we're going to have to have, like, a weekly segment pizza of moment. pizza roll moment of the week for Ugo Amato. Yeah, so some ranch. Now, with the ranch dressing. <laughs> right, now, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ugo, one of the things that I'm waiting that I, can't, I cannot wait to see from you is, you know, eventually you're getting – that Shaq Griffin moment, you getting an interception out there on the field. And part of the reason why I'm so excited, I was just saying this to the, to everybody, is because I'm excited to see what you do with the ball in your hands, being a former punt returner and knowing the explosion and, and, and playmaking ability that you have. Uh, what will that be like to, to get your first interception? Um, uh, that will be uh, a highlight of my, you know, First at bat in the Seahawks defense, you know. Um, I'm just I, when I, whenever I get the ball, I just don't want to do too much, you know. Just do what I've always been doing as a kid when I get the ball, you know. Just be electrifying with it. Would you want to return punts for the Seahawks here? Like, go, why not tell Pete Carroll, like, hey, coach, stick me in there. I can make it happen. Yeah, I'll do whatever the team needs me to do, you know. So if it's returning punts, returning kicks, you know, I'm, I won't shy away from that at all. Hey, when you guys have been having your, you know, tell the truth Monday moments, um, looking at some stuff that you'd like to improve on, I know you can't share all of this with us. You got to keep it within the team. But is there this feeling on the defense of we've got to get better? And then do you have things you guys are focusing on? Oh, yeah. It's not just defense, it's just us as a team in general. You know, there's always something to get better at. Um, you know, we're 4 0, you know, uh, which is a blessing. Not too many teams can say that. And, you know, with being 4 0, you know, there's a big target on your back now. Now teams want to bring you down. So, you know, we've got to be better at, better at the smaller things. 
Hey, you know, Ugo, speaking of that, I was, uh, I was, you know, always saying like, it's not a quick fix, right? I mean, when you do things in the NFL, it kind of comes slowly. You guys were better. You guys were much better in pass coverage. Um, what was the, what was the emphasis last week? And what was the, the difference, do you think, in the, in the Miami game compared to the, the previous games? Uh, you know, we just had to get our hands on the ball. You know, quarterback well, last week, you know, he, he'll give you opportunity to make a play on the ball. And, you know, we had to make the most of those opportunities. And we wanted to bounce back from last week. I mean, the week before that, you know, we weren't, we weren't as tight as we, we needed to be as a unit. And I feel like that next, the next following week was the Dolphins. You know, we kind of bounced back. We got our edge, got our confidence, and now we have an identity. Ugo, what is something that as you're, you guys are preparing for the Vikings, what do you see from from those guys as you're as you're preparing from them, uh, preparing for them, and and uh, how excited are you for for that challenge? Um, I'm very excited about the challenge just because it's the next challenge uh, ahead of us as a team. And um, the, this offense, you know, they're a heavy run team. You know, they want to run the ball. They have a special running back. They have great receivers. You know, um, so it's gonna be a, a it's gonna be another great game. You know, we just gotta uh, nip everything in the bud and make them play left-handed. Just stop their strength. You know, and just make them play left-handed. You know, Jamal Adams, as I'm sure you know by now, is a pretty intense guy, uh, fun guy. How much different is it without him? Not just on the field, but like without him around the team. You know, he was watching you guys from home. He was tweeting about that. Is it is it a significantly different environment without him there? Yeah, his energy is always, or his presence is always felt whenever he's around. You know, so like him not uh, yelling or you know just doing, just showing his energy is just different. You know, him not being around. But what he, what I saw what he did on social media, that was pretty huge, man. He's all about ball, man, and that's not something that he's pretending to do. That's something that who he truly, truly is. All right, you know, a really quiet guy that uh, I've actually never even heard from, and unfortunately, he's he's injured. But Marquise Blair. Um, yeah. yeah, how much uh, you guys coming in the the same year? Do you guys have a, a pretty good kinship? And how's he doing with his uh, with his injury? Oh yeah, that's my boy, man. We live down the street from each other. Um, he's doing well right now. I appreciate you asking. Um, you know, he's still, you know in the recovery process. You know, whenever you get injured, you know, it's never nothing easy to you know to to bear. You know, especially mentally, because I know he, cause me and him, whenever we got on the field, we all going to prove ourselves. So. I know that's what the type of edge I have when I go out there and play because I know my dog Marquise would, would love to be out here, you know, let hit somebody. Well, and you're a good friend, Ugo, because I can tell you, having been often injured, one of the things that that happens is you feel like you're disconnected from the team, kind of. So, yeah. And then sometimes I come to the city, I'm like, oh man, Marquise would be right here, or in meetings, Marquise would be sitting right here next to me. Yeah. It's a lot of missed conversations around the facility. Yeah. <laughs> Ugo, again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Good luck this weekend. Right, thank you so much. Thank you all for having me again. Thanks. All right, that was starting Seahawks nickel corner Ugo Amadi joining us. You guys, he is, is he so likable. Fantastic. <laughs> he is Love such him. a great interview always. You know what? I hope that he can have a pizza roll moment for himself this weekend. I mean, I, I love the the kind of teamwork of looking at like, hey, you know, Shaq's interception was fantastic. But you guys, that pass breakup was great. That was yeah. a great play right along the sidelines from him. Um, we're going to be speaking to guard Damian Lewis in just a moment here. I will not tell you or tell him what you said about rookies. He is a big guy. <laughs> we'll keep right. that away from him. That was um, Rabel's quote. It wasn't mine. Of course but... it was. Of course it was. Hey, one quick thing on Ugo Amati really yeah, quick. He was a Lombardi Award mm-hmm, winner, mm-hmm. and the Lombardi Award is for 
And if you go back and look at the list, it's some pretty amazing players, but it's 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 for, you know, uh, academics, it's for the kind of person you are and volunteering and things like that. So Ugo is, uh, yeah, he's well-deserved of that uh, yeah. award. And joining us right now is starting right guard Damian Lewis. Damian, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Um, you have had a fantastic start to the season. I remember, you, you probably don't, but, you know, we, we all got a chance to talk to you a bit heading into the year, um, saying, hey, it looks like it's going to be tough without much of an off season for rookies, but you have adjusted so well. Um, has there been anyone you've been leaning on on the rest of that offensive line for kind of mentorship? Yeah, you know, I just be talking to some of the older vets. You know, the guys have been here. Like Posted, Dwayne, Mike, you know, Jordan Simmons. So, you know, the old guy helped me out a lot, you know. Damien, I got to ask you this just because I saw this on, uh, I think it was on Twitter or something. It was you squatting. How many? How much can you squat? I never did. Max out and squat. Uh, coaches, you know, let me go up to a certain number. I did like six, ten, something like that. My but goodness. I never did, went above that. Do you think you could go above it? Yeah, I can, but you know, they don't want to risk it. <laughs> we don't yeah, want to get you, you in trouble being yourself. like, yeah, yeah. try seven. <laughs> <laughs> De- definitely not that. Uh, so, Damien, when, as I've watched you play over the first four weeks, one of the things that I can definitely say is, is that you are nasty at the line of scrimmage, just, you know, specifically in the run game and finishing guys off, uh, you know, Talk to us about your mentality, man, heading into each game because I go back and watch the film, and it is so fun to watch you work each week. Yeah, you know, I just come in, you know, to play with a chip on my shoulder, you know. You know, all my whole life I've been underrated, so, you know, just go in there and just, you know, make people, you know, this is why I'm here. This is why the Seattle picked me. So, you know, just go in there and perform and do what, you know, they picked me for to do. So I just go in there and, you know, just try to be the best me. And just have fun out there. You've told us in some other interviews about your background, but why do you think that is that people underrate you or maybe they don't believe in you as much as they should? Because we've been talking a ton about rookies lately, and you're one of them that's out there impressing us immediately. Yeah, you know, like everything happened for a reason, you know. I just, you know, can do what I can do, you know. But. I've been underrated my whole life, you know, never look at it and just, you know, just be like, all right, well, I'm going to just do what I can do, you know, they going to go by. So I just go out there and try to be the best me. And, you know, as time go by, people start noticing. Damien, you guys 4-0, one more game before you go to a bye week. What's the mentality heading into this one? To keep on with the preparation, you know, practice hard, you know, just keep doing the little thing that we're doing right and just, battle it out on the practice field and translate it to the field. You know, it's going to show for itself. All right. Well, good luck this Sunday, Damian. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having me. And that was starting right guard <laughs> Damian Lewis. Two good interviews, I think you I guys. just heard a, a yes ma'am there. Yes. Yeah. 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 He's from the uh, south, you uh, know. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs>
<laughs> Say that to your elders. That's okay, right. Curtis. That's oh, enough. That's enough for you. You and Jake are. You get one more year of your twenties. You guys Boom. have one more year, and then it's all over. See, <laughs> uh, Rods, why don't you get somebody to bring you something? Okay. Uh, well, yeah. that's the only way I can get things. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, uh, let's just you know wrap this up. We have just a, just a minute here left of the huddle. Uh, last chance that all four of us will get to talk about this game on the huddle heading into the weekend. So, Dave, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm sorry in advance, but I'm going to make you give us your prediction for the game. Are well, the Seahawks heading into the bye week undefeated? I believe so. I think they're going to find a way to win. So uh, I think I, I really liked the sort of baby step that they took mm-hmm. defensively. So, But I think it's going to be it's going to continue to be baby steps. And I do think that yeah. they're – I see this as like a, a touchdown game, you know, um, probably going to keep it close. I don't think they're going to be blowing anybody out. So – you know, I'll say something like, you know, 38-31. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Let's hope for at least some pizza roll moments of the game. Yes. I think that's the best thing we can hope for. If you can get a pizza roll moment of the game in with there. With ranch. With ranch. Ugo Amadi will be happy. I think Seahawks fans will be very happy with that one. All right. This has been the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, Tom Wassel, and Stacy Ross. We'll join you guys every single Thursday from noon to 2 p.m. You can hear Dave coming up at 3 on Bob, Dave, and more. Tom, Jake, and Stacy is next. This is 710 ESPN Seattle.